Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have a special episode with the best guest in the world. It's all of you. And here's the deal. We just got off of two back-to-back sessions on 30 Minutes to President's Club Live. We don't really like to call it a webinar, but it was sort of like two webinars back-to-back. And it was part one on cold calling openers and value props, and then part two on how to handle objections. And along the way, there were over 2,000 people each time that registered. And unfortunately, there were so many sad, unanswered questions that we felt so horrible that we had to answer them live today. And so we're gonna go through three things. The first bucket is tone, how you prep for calls and anything else. The second bucket is openers and value props. 
And the third bucket is how you handle objections. We're gonna go through key tactics and takeaways from each session in each of those buckets. And of course, we'll answer some questions that we missed along the way. Nick, why should people listen? So I was talking to my CEO the other day and he said 99% of the sales outreach he gets is email and LinkedIn message. And one of our philosophies here at 30 Minutes to President's Club is you should always zig when everybody else zags. And so if you want to set yourself apart and become an elite salesperson, you got to pick up the phone to book some meetings. And that actually starts with everything you do before you pick up the phone. So the first thing you do before you even make a cold call is you've got to plan your attack and then attack your plan. The worst thing you could possibly do is try to do your research and then make a cold call. Do some research, make a cold call. Split those things into separate buckets because they require total different headspaces and energy levels. And if you want a pro tip, if you've sent a decently tailored email, actually have that email pulled up when you're making the cold call because it will make your cold call sound really, really researched. There's no reason to do that stuff twice. Plan your attack, attack your plan. Armand, talk to me about the general tone and demeanor when we're making these calls. Tactic number two is you have to slow down and laugh. And here's the thing is you laugh very frequently, but most importantly, you laugh when you get an objection. The faster you speak when you get a tough rejection, the more you show that you are below the person you're calling and the more you let them know you're a telemarketer that can be rattled. All righty, Nick, what's number three? Now, occasionally you'll make a cold call and the other person, shocker, they won't answer the phone. And so you come to this tough decision. Should I, should I not leave a voicemail? I always leave a voicemail, but I do it in a very specific way. What I don't start my voicemail with is, Armand, this is Nick Sigelski with 30 Minutes to President's Club. The reason I'm calling you is because what happens when you're a CFO is you get about 40 of those a day. And the way that you know someone is cold calling you is the beginning of that voicemail. All salespeople start with, Armand, this is X with Y. Instead, leave your name and company at the end of the voicemail. So literally say, Armand, the reason I'm calling you, and that's those are the first words you say on your voicemail. Save the contact in for the, for the end. You still want to be professional and include it, but it doesn't need to come up front. Let's talk about some of the questions, Armand. So the first one here is, what is the best way to get rid of ums in a cold call? Best way to get rid of ums in a cold call is the same way to get rid of ums in your normal speech. When I'm not sure what I'm going to say next, like right now, it is doubly important to slow down. Versus if I talk really fast like this, I guarantee I'm probably going to forget something that I'm going to say and then um, there it is, right? So there's the first um that comes out of my mouth. And the reason is you're going way too fast. So the first thing you do is you slow down. The second thing you do is think of your cold call in buckets that are mini sprints that are always the same every single time. Your opener is always the same every single time. Your value prop is always the same every single time. When you get hit with, I'm not interested, your answer should be same every single time. And so what you should do is practice all of these micro pieces so many times so that when you give your opener, you've given it a million times, or when you get hit with, I'm not interested, you practice that objection to be handled a million times and it comes off supernaturally. That's how you do it. Nick, now I've gotten rid of all of my ums and a customer answers the call and they're talking slow as a sloth, right? And I'm going super fast. Do you suggest pacing and mirroring based on how people answer the phone? The key here is understanding what you want them to get to. So if somebody's talking slow, that's actually not a bad thing. 
That just might be how quickly they talk. So I do want to mirror to them if that's the state we want to be in. But if they're hostile, one of the things you have to remember when you're in any sales call is that people respond or react in kind, meaning the way that you behave and act, they will actually match to. So if they're a jerk and they're like, well, where the heck did you get my phone number? I'm not going to respond. Well, I found it on the internet. What do you think? You got you to gotta understand where you want to bring them to. So it depends on the reaction that you get from them. Okay. Um, we had another question here about voicemails. So let's go back. Let's talk about tone on voicemails. Does that matter as well, Armand? Yes, absolutely. And so here's the thing is if you sound like you're giving a bunch of uptones or you say like uh, something along the lines of PAVE is a compensation management software and I just wanted to get in touch with Nick, you are sounding like a telemarketer. Your voicemails should sound like you're calling a friend. And what mine usually sound like is like, Nick, we work with a couple of Sequoia portfolio companies. It's uh, Armand at PAVE. I'm going to send you a note. You don't have to reply to this call. Just reply to that email and let me know if it's even moderately interesting. Cheers. Super relaxed, comfortable. It makes it feel like he's supposed to answer my email because I'm familiar with him and I'm a friend giving him a call. We should probably answer the, the original question, is, which is, should we even be leaving voicemails at all? Mm. It's a good one. I always leave a voicemail, even if it's a very, very, very short voicemail. In the beginning, when I've done my research and it's my fresh touch to a contact, I'm actually going to spend a little bit more energy on leaving them a substantive voicemail where I include all of the tailoring that I've done. But later in the process, when I'm on like my third or fourth call, there's not as much return on leaving a longer voicemail. So I'll make them very quick. My voicemail literally might be, Armand, this is Nick with 30 Minutes to President's Club. Give me a call when you get a minute, please. Thanks. Boom. Done. And to that point, there is a law of diminishing returns of everything in sales. Contrary to popular belief, I do not believe you should do 500 cold calls a week. I think that's a colossal waste of time. I also don't think you should leave someone seven voicemails. I usually leave two. The first call is always the first voicemail, and it's usually a 10-second voicemail with context only. So literally... Nick, I work with a couple of Sequoia portfolio companies. I'm going to send you an email. Feel free to reply back to that one. No need to call me back. It's Armand at Pave. Cheers. That's it. The second voicemail is a little bit longer. It's 20 or 25 seconds. And all it says is it's going to add the problem that I solve very briefly in that voicemail. And again, point back to the email. All righty. So Nick, last question here on the topic of everything before the call and in between the call, tone, prep, everything else is, uh, do you have any tactics for this weird pandemic world where people are working from home? How do I actually get people on the phone in the first place? Pick up the phone and call. That's part of the job. I, I don't really have an answer to it. It's like, I think people make excuses to not actually pick up the phone and call. And the reality of what you need to accept is a phone call and a voicemail that are good, they can be effective without the other person actually picking up the phone. So a lot of reps will say, oh my gosh, I made 25 cold calls and I only talked to one person. What a colossal waste of time. But what they don't recognize is that by virtue of calling and leaving a voicemail, they're actually strengthening their other touches. What Armand's talking about in that voicemail, he says, hey, I sent you an email, no need to reply to this call. He actually is forcing that person to then go look at his email. So don't think just because people aren't answering, it doesn't mean your messages are having an impact. Yeah, here's the thing is this is very similar to the question of should I try to time my dials at a certain time of day? And my answer is absolutely not. And the reason for that is if you try to plan a 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. dial blitz and then a 4 p.m. dial blitz and then a 12.30 p.m. dial blitz, you never allow yourself to get into any sort of rhythm 
And the key thing with prospecting is doing a little bit every day first thing in the morning so you do it and you get it out of the way instead of trying to time it so that by the end of the day you're exhausted. What I recommend doing instead is do your prospecting every morning for an hour. Do your dials in the morning for an hour every single day. And then if you want to mix up your dial times, sprinkle in twice per week, every single week on the exact same days, two afternoon blocks. So I'll usually do a Tuesday and a Friday afternoon dial blitz just to switch up the time zones from time to time. So I'm calling people at different times, but it's not screwing with my rhythm every single day. Alrighty, so enough about before the call, the tone, the voicemails, what have you. Now we're actually starting a cold call. So everything on openers and value props. Nick, first tactic, what do we got? You know I love my permission-based opener. I always open with, Armand, this is Nick Sigelski with 30 Minutes to President's Club. I know you didn't expect me to call you this afternoon. Do you mind if I take one minute, I'll tell you why I'm calling, and then you can tell me whether or not it makes sense for us to speak? I use it every single time, nine times out of 10, the person says, all right, you got a minute. And I say, you know what? You could even start a timer if you would like to. And then I go into my pitch. Sometimes people say, well, Nick, what if they say no? Doesn't that open them up to turn you down? Well, nine times out of 10, they say yes. I have a way to handle if they say no. And there is a big difference on a sales call between somebody hearing what you're saying physically and actually listening with their brain. When you get permission and they opt in, it actually gets them to listen to your pitch, which is the intent of the call that you're making. Now, Armand, you do things a little bit differently, I know. Well, I combine my opener with the permission-based opener. So my opener is called the heard the name tossed around opener. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get you to forget that it's a cold call. And it sounds like this. I'm going to say, Nick, I work with a couple other Sequoia portfolio companies in the Valley. It's uh, it's Armand at PAVE. Have you heard her name tossed around? And what I'm doing is a couple things. Number one is I'm not leading with my name. I'm leading with the fact that I work with other people in your investor's portfolio. So not only have I done my research, but I'm also not a complete rando. So immediately they start to sit up. And then I end with an assumptive ask. I say, it's Armand at Pave. Have you heard her name tossed around? And the general tone behind it is, you probably should have heard her name tossed around by now, right? And it's a very relaxed opener. Here's the thing. They'll say yes or no. If they say no, I'm going to roll right into the permission-based opener. I'm going to say, look, you're probably going to hate me then. This, I guess this is a cold call, right? If they say yes, I don't have to pitch. All I say is, oh, you've heard her name tossed around. Awesome. Normally, we'd be working with someone like yourself by now. What'd you hear? Did we screw something up? That's it. Alrighty. Lastly, number three, before we get into the questions, Nick, once we've actually gotten through our opener, how do we describe what we do on the phones? Well, the timer is a little bit of buffer for them to calibrate. One of the things you got to remember is you're cold calling someone. You're like shocking them out of what they were doing. And so give them a second to calibrate to, all right, I'm about to listen to a pitch. So I always say, no problem. You can even start a timer if you would like. But then my framework here is I try to get extremely specific about a granular problem that we solve. Granular might not be the right word. I want to be crispy. I want them to know that I am an expert in this space. So if I'm selling a billing solution to uh, a law firm and I'm calling the CFO, what I'm going to start with is context. I might say, Armand, the reason I'm calling you is we work with a bunch of other CFOs of midsize insurance defense law firms like yours who have told me that they're frustrated with all of the deductions, rejections, and appeals that they get on their bills they send to insurance carriers. I'm calling you about something that makes that a little bit easier, and I'm wondering if you might be open to learning more when I'm, when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. What I've done here is context, 
problem and an ask. I've said, we work with a number of insert role and industry of the person that you're calling. Let them know you're not a rando. You're calling about their space specifically. Two, I'm giving a very specific problem that implies pain. I use the word they're frustrated. You might use the word they're anxious or they're stressed or they're upset imply pain. And then three, I'm not actually telling them a lot about how I solve that problem. All I'm saying is if you have that problem, I'm calling you about something that makes that a little bit easier. And if you'd like to learn more, we can do that when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. So Armand, I'm looking at the questions and we got one here about your opener. They said, what are your thoughts on saying, quote, this is Justin from XXX. Ooh, sounds risque. Uh, This is Justin from XXX. Does that name ring a bell? And then following up with a permission-based opener, is that too many questions or no? So it's not too many questions, for sure. I mean, that's exactly what I do, except instead of saying, does that name ring a bell? I say, have you heard our name tossed around, right? And then I follow up with the permission-based opener. So not too many questions, assuming you allow them to reply in between your two questions. Um, The key thing is, uh, is the does that name ring a bell sound okay? And and honestly, at first sound, like, it, it doesn't sound horrible. To be completely honest, some people feel really uncomfortable saying, heard the name tossed around. It basically gets at the same thing. I'll be honest, just hearing it, it sounds a little bit more telemarketing where you say like, name ring a bell, right? One of those types of things versus, hey, heard a name tossed around is a little bit more casual and assumptive. And that's the tone you're going for with the heard the name tossed around opener is like, yeah, you've heard our name tossed around, right? Not, hey, ring a bell type of thing. So it's a little bit more perky telemarketery, so I'm not crazy about it. But if it comes off naturally for you, totally fine. It gets at the same thing. Alrighty, Nick. Um, that's an easier question. This is probably the toughest one, and I don't even know what to do half of the time when this happens. You go into your permission-based opener, you ask for 27 seconds, and they say no. What do you do? Well, you say no problem. When would be a better time to call you back? Now, what's going to happen is a couple things. One, they might hang up on you. That's fine. We can talk about how we handle that in a second. Two, they might say, a time. Okay, great. You might actually then book a meeting and confirm with a calendar invite. Three, they might say, I don't know, what what is this even about? Great, now you have permission to tell them why you called. So you can't ever try to force, well, it'll only be a second. You asked permission and you got told no. Don't try to shove your pitch down their throat. All you say is no problem. When would be a better time for me to call you back? If they hang up on you, here's what I do. You always assume positive intent. Assume, assume that Verizon was the one who dropped the ball and that the phone line just got disconnected. Call them back and then you're going to say, hey, Armand, I'm so sorry. I think the call dropped. Can you hear me better now? Armand still, nine times out of ten, is probably going to be a jerk and most salespeople won't have the guts to try that. But if you really want to earn his attention, that's how you can get that hard-to-reach prospect to actually give you some respect. My favorite thing here is to actually completely agree with them. And again, you'll get this concept later when we talk about objections is don't like to fight this. And so they say no, and they're usually angry. I'm usually going to apologize and say like, oh man, I probably totally screwed something up. Is it just because you're really angry at me because I cold called you? Or did I actually catch you in the middle of something right now? Because I can totally call you back if it's the second one. I'll never call you back if it's the first one. And you'll usually get a good laugh out of them. And then they'll tell you if they're actually busy or if it was just a cold call or they'll be like, all right, all right, what's this regarding? The great thing that you're doing there is there might be some people who'll be like, no, you can't. And then they hang up, right? You're going to get turned down. Anytime you ask the customer for permission, there will always be people out there who turn you down. They say no, and you've lost your chance. The thing is those people you were never going to get anyway. 
So I see a lot of people say, oh, you should just get to your point right away. If someone is like the anti-anti-cold calls, they think cold, cold calls are the spawn of Voldemort, like you're not getting them no matter what words come out of your mouth. I love how you infuse the humor there. So another one we've got here is after you give your great opener and then they interrupt you and they say, wait, wait, who is this? Do you jump into the meat or do you ask permission again? Yeah. So at the end of my opener, usually I'll say it's Armanette Pave. Have you heard her name tossed around? And what's not good is if they say, wait, who is this? Uh, the, the, the thing to not do is to literally just be like, Nick, we work with a bunch of Sequoia portfolio companies. It's Armanette Pave. Have you heard her name tossed around? You do not repeat the same opener again because they remember the tone. They just don't remember what you said. Uh, so usually what I'll say is I'll make a joke out of it. I'll say like, it's Armanette at Pave. Like, Pave a sidewalk. Come on. You heard a name tossed around? No? Not ring a bell? Right? And that'll usually be like, come on. I'm joking around. I just repeat the last part. And I'm, again, sort of brushing shoulders with them, buddy, buddy, and being like, hey, you've heard our name tossed around. Right? Oftentimes, the reason you'll get that question is if you think about how somebody like picks up the phone and answers, sometimes the phone isn't even to their ear yet. And so they literally don't hear the first part of your, your question. So you've got to sort of learn the timing side of it. And you'll know when you need to repeat in full versus you could even say, well, how much did you hear of what I said? So that's a good one. All right, Nick. So we've talked about everything from when people say no to the permission-based opener to if you give a great opener, but they don't even remember who you are, what do you do? The last one to wrap this one up is, let's take it all the way back to the beginning of the call. How does this stuff change if you've gotten in touch with someone before? Or in other words, you know it's like a closed lost opportunity or a meeting that you had that's a follow-up. Now what do I do? I love naming my follow-up tasks, the words that I'm going to say when I follow up with Armand. Here's an example. I cold call Armand and he says, Nick, I can't talk with you right now. I'm about to eat a pepperoni pizza. And then he hangs up on me. What I'm going to do when I call Armand back the next week is I'm going to say, Armand, you and I last spoke on February 23rd, and you told me you had been about to eat a pepperoni pizza. I have no idea if that conversation rings a bell or not. And what I've done here is, this is very important, I use the exact words Armand told me. I don't say, yeah, you said you're about to munch on some pepperoni and cheese. I say exactly what he said to me, because that triggers something in his head by saying, oh, wait, that's the language I use. This person has talked to me before. And they're, they're going to respond there and say, wait, wait, yeah, I, I think, wait, who is this? And then you roll right into either your heard the name tossed around opener or your permission-based opener. But it's a fantastic way to get somebody's attention. That's why even if you get hung up on any information you can get off the call, hang on to, write down, and use it when you approach them again. Beautiful. Alrighty. So we've finally gotten through all of our prep, we've opened with good tone, we have crispy problem propositions, and now we get hit with an objection. And what do you do when you get hit with an objection? The first thing you do is you take a page out of Karate Kid and you act like Mr. Miyagi. And here's how you do it, is whenever I get hit with something like not interested or call me in six months, you have to agree with them Ask them a question that gets you more information and then incentivize them or sell the meeting. What that sounds like is if they say, call me in six months, I'm going to say, absolutely, would love to call you in six months. I'm going to put it in my calendar right now. Just so I don't sound like a goon when I reach back out to you, could you give me a sense of what's going on in six months? 
they're going to tell me what it is. And then I'm going to try to pull it forward and incentivize them to take a meeting today anyways. And so I'll say, hey, usually when someone says call me in six months, it means there's like some degree of interest. Honestly, you're not going to buy pave right now, frankly, for the next six months. Why don't we jump on a call for something like 10 minutes next week? I can give you the Harbor tour. And if nothing else, you'll have a sense of what's out there. So you don't have to do the whole dog and pony show in six months and you can just pull the trigger then. Sound good? Awesome. I've sold the meeting. I've pushed away and I've made it clear. I'm not going to try to sell you immediately. Alrighty, Nick. But before that, you get slammed with an objection and you do something called the ledge. What is number two? The ledge. Most of the time when you get hit with any objection, your brain starts to rattle. Oh my gosh, I'm getting rejected. This emotional part of our brain freaks out. And all you do is you actually memorize a response. You might say something like, Armand, you do the laugh. (laughs) Even there, you said, absolutely. I'm happy to call you in six months. I might say something like, I figured you would say that. Or, you know, everybody says that. The key here is you're saying sort of a neutralizing, agreeing statement that buys your brain a second to catch up for what you're actually going to say. A great example of this is something we actually learned from Sarah Brazier today on the 30 MPC live episode, where what she does is, if Armand says, we don't have budget, she says, got it. You don't have budget. And then she asks a question. So the key is for her, she says the word, got it. She repeats the last couple words that Armand says to show she was actually listening and implies, I want to learn more. And then she asks a calibrating question. So the key here is don't try to fight the objection right away. Neutralize first and then seek to understand before trying to be understood. Now, sometimes we're going to have prospects who aren't so happy that we're seeking to be understood and they get aggressive and they might say things to us, Armand, like this question here, which is they say, how did you get my phone number? For this one, you have to be disarmingly blunt. Okay. There's no Mr. miyagi here. It's just being straight up. And so I'm going to say, oh, well, I don't know what secrets you got here, but I would love to take a page out of your book if you've never been cold called before. I got your number on a program called Zoom Info as in our CRM. Um, I can totally take it out, but I guess, so, so I make sure that no one calls you again from here. Could I get 27 seconds to tell you why I called and then you can hang up on me then and I'll take your phone out of our list. Sound good? So again, I'm just going to agree with them, make a joke out of it and ask for permission and incentivize to them to at least hear me out and then hang up on me afterwards. All right, Nick. So Now we know that we've secured their phone number on some sort of whatever lead finding software. And now they say, you know what? You shouldn't have called me in the first place. Nick, why don't you just send me an email? Now what do I do? Same framework. You do the Mr. Miyagi. No problem. I would be happy to send you an email. You know, you're the first person all week who's actually asked me to do that. So I want to make sure that I get this right for you. I actually sort of play up the fact that I'm going to do some hard work on your behalf, Mr. Customer, so that I can put something together that's actually really compelling for you. Like, what would you like me to put in that email? If they give you a real answer, you might then say, okay, cool. I guess, would it be helpful for me to give you a little context and background now on this call before I put all of it into an email? Would you like me to send you a video? What you want to do is like make a point that you're going to do some hard work. If they give you a generic answer, like, oh, you know, just an overview of your services or I don't know, whatever you normally send. Here's where you, you bias towards that disarmingly blunt. You say, hey, can I ask you a sort of weird question? They're going to say, okay. Everybody's like, what, a weird question? And that makes them lean in. And you say, Oftentimes when, when somebody says, just send me an email and they just want a general overview, it's, it's really just them being polite and they're not actually interested in my crummy cold call. Am I totally off base or that might be what's happening here? The key here is throw yourself under the bus. 
They'll either save you or you'll know that it is not an email worth putting together. Armand, let's wrap us up here and tell me what you do when they say, we're happy with our current solution. So you say, I'm happy with my current solution. I'm going to say, oh, you have a comp tool. Awesome. You know, the vast majority of the time, it doesn't really make sense to switch off of these things. And so do you mind if I just mark it on my end? Like, who are you guys using just so I make sure no one calls you again? Awesome. Now I know the competitor. Once I know the competitor, it doesn't matter what we do better than them. My answer is the same every single time. I'm going to win through social proofing and I'm going to sell the meeting by creating a little bit of mystery. I'm going to say, oh, 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 you're on them. Interesting. So this might be crazy, but look, my guess is still like you're probably doing like perfectly fine on that tool. Um, But we've had a couple of customers switch over from X to us. Would you be completely against like getting like the 10 minute Harbor tour pave? And then if nothing else, like we we can give you a sense of like when and why other folks have switched and you'll at least leave the conversation a little bit smarter. Is that okay with you? My guess is you won't buy anyway. So again, I'm just pushing away, pushing away, pushing away. And what I'm saying is, don't you at least want to know why other people have switched off the tool that you're using today? And that's how you Mr. Miyagi it. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Alrighty, Nick, we went through the tone. We talked about slowing down, planning your attack, attacking your plan. We went through openers and value props, the permission-based opener, the heard the name tossed around opener, your crispy problem props. And then of course, lastly, we talked about being Mr. Miyagi as you step towards the ledge and making sure you don't immediately react the moment someone hits you with an objection, but you slow down, you mirror and you ask them a question. And Nick, the last thing we need to do is we need to now tell people Now that we've helped them on the phones, how can people help us out today? If you did not join our 30 Minutes to President's Club live sessions, it would make me a very happy young man to see you register for the replay. We're going to give you the link to the replay in today's show notes. Go check them out. They were a lot of fun. We had the wonderful Jason Bay and the wonderful Sarah Brazier helping us out to master the art of the phones. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.